0: We have two readings today. The first one is from Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. You may stand if you are able. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Our second reading is from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour, no one knows neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you, are, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of God. For the people of God. God.
1: You'll be hearing a lot from Anne Weems during this time. Anne Weems is a poet. She's Presbyterian. That's okay. Maybe. This one is entitled In December Darkness and it is from her book, Kneeling in Bethlehem. The whole world waits in December darkness for a glimpse of the light of God. Even those who snarl humbug and chase away the carolers have been seen looking toward the skies. The one who declared he never would forgive has forgiven. Those who left home have returned. And even wars are halted, sometimes briefly, as the whole world looks starward. In the December darkness, we peer from our windows, watching for an angel with rainbow wings to announce the hope of the world. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing some things from Richard The Universal Christ is being read by at least one nest that I'm aware of. This particular book is written with Patrick Boland and it's called Everything is Sacred and it is reflections on the Universal Christ. So you will be hearing those things, which is a change. Just saying. When we come to this time of year, we start making lists. Now, I know when my mother used to make a list, the first thing she would put on the list, so when she was finished with making the list, she had one thing to cross off. I have adopted that little gig thing because I think it's really nice to be able to cross something off your list. Children write Christmas lists to Santa. And I'm not 100% sure at what age you start telling kids that Santa isn't bringing their presents. I don't understand that. My children, my, my husband had said that he nothing came from parents, everything came from Santa. And I said, baloney it does. I'm not working myself crazy so that Santa can get all the credit. You know, no way, I'm not going to buy that. So we had a few tips over that. But I grew up in a household that never believed that Santa brought gifts. We used to jokingly put notes on things saying it was from Sandy (laughs) Claus. But we never believed in Santa. We always believed that our gifts came from our parents and understood that Santa was a spirit of giving. But I think, through that, we lost a little bit of the excitement and the mystery of Christmas. I do remember that we kept the Nativity on a buffet in the dining room, and as you got older, you were able to put the Christ child in the manger on Christmas Eve. And I remember the first time that I was allowed to put the Christ child in the manger. And it was the most fantastic feeling that you got to hold. Well, it was kind of dented and messed up a little bit because it had been dinged up a few times. But we got to put that in the manger. Was awesome. But we still, even as adults, have issues with mystery. We don't like the idea that we can't explain everything right down to the last detail. We need to have everything written down, and it all has to be perfect. Now, I've been here almost six months, and we haven't had a perfect bulletin yet. Not one. Oh, well, it's not that important. I also had a very close friend that told me that beauty is in the imperfections. Took me a while to wrap my brain around that, but I really do like that idea that beauty is in the imperfections. But in the universal Christ, what Roar is trying to get us to wrap our brains around is that there is something sacred in every single Thing we see, touch, hear, it's all got a spark of the sacred. Whether it's a leaf, whether it's a person, whether it's a kitty that climbs into your lap because they missed you because you've been gone for a few days, all of this is exciting and sacred and holy. As we rush through this season, with all of our to-do lists and all the things that we have to bake, buy, write, all those things, we forget about looking for the sacred in the everyday stuff. Brother Lawrence is one of my favorite people to rely on. He was a, you know, just a measly monk. He worked in the kitchen. And he most often was found in the kitchen of his monastery, scrubbing pans. And he said, God is as present in the scrubbing of pots and pans as he is when you kneel to receive the Eucharist. Now, for most of us, we scrub pots and pans much more often than we kneel to receive the Eucharist. So do you think of washing pans as being sacred? Do you think of that as a holy moment? Change your way of thinking about it. Open your heart to the potential of thinking of the sacred in everything. Now, my sister is visiting. Raise your hand. And I said to her yesterday that I needed to get here early because I wasn't sure what was going to be done in the sanctuary. I should have known better, because I should have known that you are people that take care of your stuff, and you know what you're supposed to do, and you do it. But when I walked in the door, and I saw how this sanctuary looked, and I saw the beauty of that pyramid that's nothing I've ever seen before, I was almost moved to tears, because I thought, this is a church that will do fine without a pastor. You don't need a pastor. You know how to take care of yourselves. You want a pastor. You like the idea of having somebody else do this stuff. But you don't need a pastor.
0: It's rare
1: that you find a church that doesn't need a pastor. but you also get kind of stuck sometimes. That that's the way we've always done it. We've never done it that way. And that's one of the things that I'm bringing to you is that change is not horrible. Change can be exciting. Change can be filled with hope. Think of what happened long ago when people were talking and prophesying about the Son of Man, when they're talking about this Savior, they're looking for a king, somebody that's going to come in and lead an army to defeat the Romans. They're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for something altogether different. And it was after they heard Jesus that their hearts were changed. And when their hearts were changed, their lives were changed. And that's what Advent can do for all of us. That's what Advent is for. It's a time of expectation. It's a time of looking for God in everything. We forget about hope. We're not people who live hopefully. We're real good at complaining. Real good. But we don't know how to live in hope because we can't even define hope adequately. What does it mean to hope? It's not a wish. It's not a wish list. It's got a a little bit of mystery in it. You can't just say, I'm hoping to be saved. I'm hoping that my life will change. Everything has something underneath it. Every story has a backstory. And Jesus came into this world, and we know the rest of the story going into Advent. We know the rest of the story. So can we see beyond what really happened to see where the hope is? Because the hope is the important part. We have been given a gift, and we need to accept that gift with gratitude. Now, I don't know about you, but I heard very little about gratitude around the many Thanksgiving tables that I was present for. And I think part of it is because there were 60 people, a lot of people who hadn't seen each other in a long time. There were a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a while. They hadn't been there because of COVID. They lived far away, all that sort of stuff. But then one girl, who's very close to my granddaughter, her cousin, who lives in Chicago, started crying. And she said, we never do this where we are. I want to move here. Look, all these people are family. All these people are related to me, and I don't even know them. And she cried for about two hours because she had to go home the next day. And my Emily looked at me and she said, How do we get Evie to stop crying? She's ruining her last night here by crying instead of being happy because she is here. And I thought, hmm, now there is something that'll preach. That we worry or cry about things that are, hap- that are going to happen rather than enjoying what we have. Life is not easy. Life is very messy. Most of life is messy. And if we're looking for something neat and orderly and predictable, We're all in the wrong business. Mistakes are going to be made, people are going to be hurt, and we can complain about it, or we can work to stop those things. For every person who is really happy today, there's somebody else who is very miserable for a variety of reasons. But if we don't see those people because that inconveniences us, We're missing an opportunity to see the sacred in them, to give them a spark of hope. The hope is not ours. The hope belongs to everyone. Let us be those people who can show others that there's hope, that there's love, and that there's light in the darkness. May it be so. Amen.